Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at Banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned, independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at Banyan.com. Please subscribe follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Good evening. My name is Ross Makichi, and I'm really delighted to be joined this evening by Sark in celebration for the release of the 25th anniversary edition of her groundbreaking book, Succulent wild woman. Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, also known as Sark. She's an acclaimed author, teacher, and mentor whose wisdom has touched and transformed the lives of millions. She gives people permission. She gives people permission to be who they really are, to express themselves. That's what I love about her. And I want to, I just wanted to say that I hadn't read any of Sark's work. Working in the shop at Banyan for years, I don't know how many times I put the Banyan label on the backs of her books. And, you know, I would flip through, but I'd never sat down and read it. And reading Succulent Wild Woman, the 25th anniversary edition, uh, was a real treat. And it was very moving. And uh, I'm now a Sark convert. And uh, I'm really, really excited to have her here. Just a little bit about her. She's the founder and creative fountain of Planet Sark. Her website is planetsark.com. It's a thriving business creating innovative products and services to, to support empowered living. She's the best-selling author and artist of 18 books, all national bestsellers, I believe, uh, including Eat Mangoes Naked, I love that title, and Make Your Creative Dreams Real. Her books have sold over 2 million copies. Today, she's with Banyan Books in conversation, again, about this special 25th anniversary edition of her other national bestseller, Succulent Wild Woman, Dancing with Your Wonderful Self. Let me tell you what Maya Angelou has to say about Sark. She says, we in this world and this weary world itself have a gaping need for Sark. Let's call for more and more Sark. And Julia Cameron, who we all know is the artist of uh, the author of The Artist's Way, says Sark's gentle and effervescent work is a festive, creative catalyst that throws open a wide and generous gate. I couldn't agree more. Again, her website is planetsark.com. Banyan community, please join me in a warm welcome for Sark. Sark, oh. thanks so much. Thank you, Ross. What a beautiful, that was so beautiful. And it, 
oh, it's so in alignment with all of my memories of Banyan. You know, I've been numbers of times, I must rhapsodize about the bookstore for a moment and just say, if I, next time I'll I come there in person. I'm so grateful to be there virtually too, be here virtually so that all the world can join. Um, and the physical store, and thank you for naming the land and the land that the store is on and the 50 years. Um, I've been representing the spirit of Sark for 40 years, and um, I'm just so grateful to be here, and uh, thank you for every word you spoke. Oh, well, thank you so much. We're really delighted to have you. I know there's been a lot of excitement in the Banyan community knowing you're coming Maybe you can start, you know, for those who don't know or who just need a little refresher, what does it mean? What is a succulent wild woman? What does that mean to you? Yes, yes. Well, we have to, we have to go, come with me to San Francisco, which, which is where I am right now. Uh, let's see, 20, 25 years ago, I was on a hill in San Francisco and I was walking and suddenly I saw etched into the cement, succulence is powerful. And I said, yes. And I jumped on that square and I threw my arms up in the air and I said, I am a succulent wild woman and I'm going to write all about that. And then I collapsed to the ground in fear, um, convinced that I, wouldn't, <laughs> that I wouldn't be able to actually do it. And um, it was very scary. I'd published five books before and I'd certainly written, um, I'd shared vulnerably in those books as well but not to the extent that I plan to share in Succulent Wild Woman. So, you know, I wrote about everything. I wrote about vibrators and fat and cellulite and chin hairs and, uh, you know, all abuse and what it, how important it is to travel alone as a woman and how to create money out of no, out of nothing. I mean, I just, how to have adventures without money. I, I wrote just passionately from my soul. And, um, and I was so grateful to do that. And it was scary. You know, this was vulnerable writing before, before Brene Brown, honestly, you know, right. I mean, I'm so grateful to her for bringing vulnerability into the collective conversation. Um, I was 42 years old at the time. And uh, I had a lot more living to do and a lot more books, books to publish um, after that. Um, but this anniversary edition is such a joy because I spent a year adding four brand new chapters. So I kept the book essentially as a time capsule, although I did update and um, change links and resources to for today. And um, since you read it, you know that I welcome people, all people, anyone who identifies as a woman, transgender people, non-binary people. And I talk about, you know, I mentioned some of my activist work, um, anti-racism, and I talk about what, what the world is dealing with right now. So it's all very um, current and very alive. Yes, that really comes through. And, you know, you, you just said, you know, this book, you wrote it for anyone who identifies as a woman. But, you know, I've, I, I listened to your TED Talk, and I've heard some other interviews with you, too, where you know, you, your, your work overall really is for anybody, including men. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how, how might a man approach? Yes. Yeah. yes, well, and on the back, it says, loving men are welcome in the land of succulent wild women. Yes. Um, and I added that word loving because before it said men are welcome. 
And I thought, no, we want the loving men. Um, so, you know, I mean, my audience has primarily been women or is women, but the men that come to Sark, they're usually brought by the women in their lives, or maybe they found it on their own. Once they read Sark, then like you said, you're a convert. Because I think men can get scared by the color, but the bright colors and the handwriting. And it can seem that maybe it's not logical or it's just kind of wild. I don't know. <laughs> like they get kind of scared. But then if they read it, they, they say what you say, which is they're moved, they feel included, they feel that it's for them too. And, um, you know, I happen to be a bisexual woman and I write about that in the book. Um, and I am engaged to marry a wonderful man. So, um, you know, he's, he's in the book and I wrote about that relationship and how that, how that came and how that happened to be. Um, but you remind me, Ross, of one of my favorite stories, my favorite succulent wild man moments was right. on one of my many, many book tours. I used to go on 25 city tours, if you can imagine that. I would have to leave a note for myself on the nightstand. You know, you are in Seattle. You have a radio show at 6 a.m. Because I could not <laughs> what city I was in. Well, anyway, I was, I was brought to many colleges and universities around the country to speak and teach. And this particular college uh, told me that the president of the university would be uh, introducing me. And so I said, great, when do I meet him? And she informed me, oh, he doesn't meet the people. He just introduces them. And I said, well, I, I don't like that. I said, I, I would like to connect with him so that it's really authentic that, you know, I said that that would be best. And she said, no, he doesn't do that. And I said, well, then let me graciously tell you that I'm not going to speak. And she, she said, just a minute. <laughs> and she came and she brought the president. And as soon as he walked in, he was very buttoned up. I mean, he had the tightest collar. His tie was very tight. And he himself was very tight. And he said, um, well, well, it's nice to meet you. It's good to meet you. I've introduced many luminaries, Henry Kissinger among them. Uh, it wasn't really necessary to meet you, but I understand that you wanted to meet me. And he was talking like this. And I just looked at him and I said, I have some advice for you. And, and he said, what, what? And I said, <laughs> if you let me introduce you, I would like to introduce you as a succulent wild man. And he said, absolutely not. You know, that's absolutely not. And I said, okay, well, it's just my intuition is saying that that's what would be really good for you. So I understand you're saying no. And so let's just go on and you can introduce me. So there's thousands of people in the audience. He's up, you know, I'm behind a purple velvet curtain. He goes up to the podium and he holds the podium and there's silence. And he says, I am a succulent wild man. And the audience went nuts. I mean, it was a 10-minute standing ovation. They would not sit down. He, and there were so many things that came from this. He, there was an endowment to the, to the university. People were raving about this. And he said it changed his life. Wow. So, so for people that wonder what, you know, why succulent? Like, so a succulent is a plant, as we know. 
that nourishes itself from the environment. It gives itself what it needs. And then it then shares that with the environment. So in that way, it is interconnected, it is interdependent. Um, and so succulent, juicy, ripe, rich, rare, firm, you know, these are the kind of words, but we all want to live an adventure. You know, we don't want to just pay our bills and go home and go to sleep. We want to have adventures. And so succulent wild woman was my way of saying, this is how I live. Come and live this way too. And so this book burst onto the scene in a major way. It was optioned as a major motion picture. There were, I mean, it went wild and groups formed all over the world and it continues to this day. So that's why I did the anniversary edition because this movement of people rising, not only women, but men too, people rising to meet what is happening now with full hearts and with all of the um, power that succulence, succulence is powerful. Wow, yeah, that's so beautiful. And I love that story. You know, I actually wrote down a little quote from the book and it's partly from what you pointed out is on the back of the book. Um, if I can just share it out. She sure. said, consciously loving men who love and respect women are welcome in the land of succulent wild women. And may we and our culture continue to identify and dismantle harmful patriarchy and sexism. It sounds to me like that story from the university, you really, in a very fun and loving way, did it, did a little piece of dismantling of, of sort of patriarchy. I don't know if it was sexist so much, but very, definitely very patriarchal. I'm just wondering over the years since you started doing the kind of work that you're doing, you know, 40 odd years, what have you seen uh, that's promising these days in terms of uh, the dismantling unhealthy patriarchy and sexism? Oh, yes. Well, first of all, the awareness, the awareness is so dialed up, you know, it, it's so exciting. And then honestly, the rage, I mean, there is so much rage and, and that might sound funny, like, well, what good is that doing? Well, it does because it activates us. We need all the emotions. We need all of the emotions. Um, I, well, I like to say all the feelings in your emotional family are welcome. And certainly activism needs rage. It also needs um, patience and it needs considered action and it needs um, community. Um, it needs connection. So I, I think it's really hopeful um, it's almost like um, everything that is so bad. I, I often say that there's so many wonderful, and I talk about this in the book, there's so many wonderful things and so many terrible things, and we must find a way to blend and alchemize them and create a brand new healing mixture and share that mixture around the world as, as much and as often as we can. And we must all become, I call for this in the book, spiritual alchemists doing this work and that is hopeful to me and you know i um but we must feel the sadness and the rage and the despair and but we must not stay there right so, we can't skip over it but not to wallow in it for too long hey no you know and and exactly sark we, we've already got some nice questions rolling in from our live audience. And just a reminder to everyone who's here live, Sark is welcoming your questions. We're going to 
do a mix of my questions for her and yours. So please keep them rolling in and we'll get to as many as we can. Is it okay with you if I read one out right now? Oh, sure. Okay. This one is from Tara, uh, who says, what is your daily ritual for inspiration? And do you still have your tree house? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. What a beautiful question. You know, I have, I'm engaged in so many daily rituals. I think we all need to have daily rituals and also let them change. You know, sometimes we need to wake up and be quiet and meditate and breathe and yoga. Sometimes we need to wake up and shout and run and shake the trees, you know. Um, so I do, I do a lot of, I do a daily beach walk. Uh, I do a daily time in nature. I do daily yoga. I call it tiny yoga because any more than tiny makes me resistant. So sometimes I will do it longer than tiny, but if I start with tiny, um, I, I have developed and teach and live something I call the miracle methods. And I've been mentoring and teaching this now for many years. And in fact, Ross, I created a program that goes with this book and it's, my, it's a signature program. When this book came out, believe it or not, of course, there was no Facebook. I didn't have the ability to do a course like the one I'm doing now. And we're enrolling people right now through the end of June. And I'm teaching about everything that's in the book and things that are not in the book about how to live in this way that I'm talking about. Because we all have this opportunity to live a succulent wild life, but we need a community. We, we're not meant to just be in our houses by ourselves trying to do all these things, you know? We're meant to have conversations and connections with other people. Um, and the other part of the question, a treehouse. Well, I want a treehouse one day, but I don't have a treehouse, but I have a magic cottage. And I've, I found it 30 some years ago and I still have it and I love it so much. And it is truly magical. Thank you. Now, you, you've mentioned community and connection a number of times already. And actually, at the, at the very end of the book, you, you share some words that you wrote in 97, saying that you've have, you have lived them as much as possible ever since. And they're even more true today. If I can share those words, and then I want to ask you about them. Yes. You, the words, and a, the, with a beautiful drawing, you say... The circles of women around us weave invisible nets of love that carry us when we're weak and sing with us when we're strong. Yes. You know how important those words have been to you and how they've supported you? Oh, you know, the holding when we're weak and, and equally important singing with us when we're strong every woman and actually every person needs that you know we need to be able to collapse into a pile with someone look compassionately witnessing us and saying i understand i'm here you know and then we need to we need to share our miracles we need to be celebrated we need someone to say great job look at all these great things that you're doing that you've done and yes, I mean, I live this every day and I really invite everyone to, to welcome that, that kind of living. That's I was wonderful. looking for the, uh, the original artwork, which I have right here. Oh, um, yeah. 
so this is your this is your art creative space isn't yes it? yes oh and this is the succulent wild woman blanket and then i also have a succulent wild woman mug <laughs> oh awesome mm. people can get some of this stuff on your website oh of course yes yeah. so this came to me in a dream i wanted to do new art for circles of women and it i don't usually do sketches i don't often do sometimes i do a draft but anyway this came as a sketch in uh the middle of the night so i put it on a um it's on a uh oh what do you call it a paper towel wow <laughs> so that's, that's amazing now seeing that after seeing that what how it looks in the book right right so here is the original this oh, is what wow. it turned into and that is what is published in the book and we'll at some point we'll have prints of this so that people can buy it um yeah it's very meaningful to me the circles of women all the circles of women incredibly important thank you for sharing that now we have another uh, nice question there's a couple of questions related to women traveling solo you had mentioned i'm going to share there's one from val there's also one from monette I'm going to share the one from Monette because it's a little more uh, detailed and specific. Uh, she says, you mentioned the importance of women traveling solo. My young daughter in her early 20s is in France this summer on her own. She is grappling with the reality of the intrusive male gaze and the fear she sometimes feels that limits her ability to explore freely. What would you tell her? Ah. Uh well first of all thank you for that question and, and speaking of that and thank you for supporting your daughter in going on an adventure like that i went to europe at 18 by myself and i i met those male gazes and was chased by those male gazes and so i know what that feels like and what that is like and i think it's a what would i say it's like a portal that every woman has to um, deal with and i think the more men that become aware of what it's like to be a woman in this world um, i think men are rising up men are speaking out um, but what can women do i think i think the fierceness i think fierceness and i think um one time i lived in the bahamas and i was taking care of someone's house and their dogs and at that time of my life, I was sunbathing naked, which I wouldn't do at this point, not for any, probably for skin protective reasons. <laughs> but at this point, I was sunbathing naked. And uh, I would go to the beach and the dogs would lie in a circle around me. And these men would come to try to talk to me. And the dogs would stand up and growl. <laughs> and, and they'd say, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm just lounging in the sun. And it was so nice to have that barrier, have that protection of those dogs. So I think for women to, to realize that they have power, we have power in our voices, we have power in our bodies, we have power in our eyes, and we do not need to be victims to that kind of attention. And we can ask others for help, we can shout, we can take self-defense classes, we can become the warriors, really, that we are. Um, you know, I think I quote, I think I talk about a book that places in the world a woman could walk. I think that's the title of it. 
And you just think about that, and I could burst into tears at all the places in the world that women can't walk, you know? Um, and so thankfully it is starting to change and it is healing and there is hope. Um, but Monette, I just, I loved your question. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, this, this makes me think about the section in the book, Succulent Wild Woman, where you write about sexuality. You write about, you know, women feeling free to explore their own sexual needs and desires. You write about allowing missteps and learning from them. You write about shame and you write about your experiences as what you call an erotic robot. In that part, one thing really jumped out at me because I noticed a lot of women, for obvious reasons, all of the trauma that's been imposed on women by men, so many women are trying to gain back a sense of empowerment around their body and around pleasure and sexuality. Um, and you write, there were, uh, there were times I attempted to have a quote unquote sex positive experience by dancing or modeling erotically. They all failed. I wonder if you can tell us why did they fail? You also mentioned there's this sadness and shame in some of those spaces I'm wondering if you can just elaborate on all of that. Yeah, thank you. What a brave question. And what a brave thing that I wrote about, you know. Yeah. Um, I think because those spaces were not sex positive, I think that they were male dominated. Uh, I think that they were uh, objectifying. And I think they were shame-based. And I... If, if you don't know, I came from, and I write about this, I came from an experience of incest in my childhood for years. Um, so the trauma that, that happened as a result of that, I'm still unwinding all these years later in my sexual life from those early traumas. And, you know, I was really wild, wild in a sense that I wanted to try everything. I had many lovers. I did many things. I was kind of like, um, no one's going to stop me. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to have a million orgasms and I'm going to be so happy. And, you know, yeah, that was good, you know, to a point. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't, um, I had more work to do. I had deeper work. There was a lot of therapy. And I needed to understand what were the what were the um, what were the losses and what did I need to reclaim. And I'm glad you're talking about women reclaiming uh, sexuality and and really women occupying their own bodies, you know. And that's why I write in here, you know, smile when you feel like it. Don't have some person, some man usually. Well, oh come on, sweetheart, give us a smile. No, I actually don't feel like it. And now I really don't feel like it. Um, so to speak up, to speak out, to gather those circles of women, to have these conversations, because the, the shame in the, is in the secrecy. You know, when I wrote about being an erotic robot, so many women relate to that, but they never talk about it. And I've always been the person in, in this world that talks about it even though I'm shy and sometimes I don't want to talk about it, I always end up talking about it. And this was a great upset to my Minnesota family, you know, which like Canadian, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an unfair generalization, but Minnesota, Canada, it has some uh, overlay of, um, 
you know, don't talk about that, keep it to yourself. You know, why would you ever say those words, you know, but there was my mother reading this book three times. She, she informed me that she was the original succulent wild woman. And didn't you love her line in the book? She says she wants us all to remember to be grateful for elastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, speaking of your mother, you know, uh, if I can jump, I, I, yeah, it makes me think about the section titled Alone, uh, Old, Alone, and Succulent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love, I love the way you address this fear of being old and alone. You write, we're all getting older every day. One day we will be old women. We can be fabulous old women or crabby, unwilling old women. It's our choice. You know, this seems so important to me because not for everybody in our culture, it, Aid, the aging process isn't really valued and particularly it seems for women where youth the youthful beauty is what's prized and sought after what are some of the gifts in your mind about aging for women oh yeah well here i am aging ross you know um <laughs> <laughs> you know uh i just turned uh what did i turn 68 and I like to refer to age as levels, you know, like, so each decade has a level. So I'm what's known as a late level six. So you meet someone in their forties, they're a level four, but isn't that cool? Because then, then you're meeting people. You're like, I just met a level eight. <laughs> I just met a level nine. And I just uh, had to tell my godson that he's not a level one yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wrote like this, I wrote this quote, which I think I put in the book. Um, the opposite of old is not young. The opposite of old is new. And as long as we can experience the new, we will gloriously inhabit all of the ages that we are and welcome all of the dreams that we have. And so I think that's all of our opportunity at whatever age to find the new. I'm, I'm learning something every day, multiple times a day. And there's so much new to explore and experience. And no matter what condition you're in, you can do new things. And no matter what age you are, you can do new things. Um, so I, I, I plan to be a fabulous old, older. I hope I continue on and on. Um, sometimes I'm crabby. And, you know, I write about that, the importance of being crabby. Um, because we do, again, we need to get crabby and then we need to get over it. And you might need to do that multiple times in a day. And I think we, we all get this idea of how we're supposed to be. And it's, you know, kind and generous and centered and always looking out for the other people. You know, we have these ideas. And the truth is we're human and we have all of our feelings and we're scared and we get angry and we make mistakes and we forget and we fall down. And then guess what? We get back up. Yes. This idea that seems to run through your work of transparency, vulnerability, and having the courage to, to tell the truth. Um, and I love in the book when you write, there's just a little section where you write, I guess I look bright. You're telling the story of, of speaking to your brother, I think, Andrew. Yes. I guess I look bright and untroubled and I smile a lot, 
which is sometimes a mask to hide shyness, fear, or pain. The books I write have colorful, happy covers, which can cause people to think it must be easy for her. And then you go on to share very courageously about your, your struggles. I'm wondering if we can just talk about this tendency for us to project onto other people, particularly in the spotlight, people who are in the spotlight, that they must have the perfect life. How do you address that when you're working with people? Well, I tried to, I, I, I attempt a de-idealization de process, but it doesn't always work because <laughs> I'll give you an example. You know, whenever I do book events, a lot of people come. So there's hundreds of people there. And I say, I, I can feel you all thinking that you came to meet me. You know, so first of all, you came to be in community with everyone here. Look around at all the succulent people. Do not stand in a line clutching your book for me to sign. Get other people to sign your book too. Like, you know, this is, this is, this is the opportunity, you know, and it's, I think, um, so then from the stage, I'll say, it's important that you know that if we went on a long car trip, I would annoy you. And, but then that just adds to the idealization, Ross, because all of a sudden they're like, I can't believe she said that. That's so honest. That's so truthful, you know? Um, so I think the projections, I've learned to not take them personally. Like when people come up to me and say, you changed my life, I always say, thank you for changing your life. I'm glad that me or my books were there. Um, so I think I'm really glad that all of our political systems are being exposed and all of these people are being exposed so that the projections can stop. They can change, you know, we can stop this idea that the movie stars have it or the, the, the president has it or whoever they are has it. And meanwhile, we're all splendidly human, imperfectly perfect, we're floundering. We're all making it up as we go along. We're terrified. We wake up at three in the morning sobbing. We, we celebrate, you know, you know, as Walt Whitman so wonderfully said, we contain multitudes. How does, how has social media impacted this? Do you think? I mean, that's a big issue. Yeah. Well, I think on the, on the uh, more on the positive side, it's given people a place to express and share parts of their lives and be witnessed and and literally have comments to what they're sharing so in that way everyone is a publisher you know so that part is exciting and there's it's never been a better time to share your work with the world and to share who you are with the world okay so then we have the shadow which is masks you know filters um you know we but thankfully now people are starting to show like here i am without makeup here i am when i'm crabby here i am with a half-eaten apple and i fell asleep on my cheek you know like people are starting to be um i think so much more vulnerable and i think that that social media supports that can support that and and as i said i think on the shadow side it has to be moderated we have to watch ourselves and um and and keep good you know like a um, mental hygiene i mean if you're if you're scrolling and you know there's they made they made that word doom scrolling well turn that to 
like bloom scrolling, scroll for blooms, for blossoms, for, for wonderful things. And if that lasts for 10 minutes, capture those wonderful things and turn off the device. That's great advice. Okay, thank you. There's a question here from Michelle who says, hi, Sark, I'm happy to be celebrating your work. What are your thoughts on apathy, passivity, anxiety? How can we move away from these moments? How can we break the habits? Oh, thank you, Michelle. That's a, a great question with many wonderful petals, like a, you know, I think I'll, I'll speak about anxiety first. Um, I have had a lot of experiences of anxiety and I wrote something um, I haven't published yet, but I wrote something called, I live with David and anxiety <laughs> because David is my fiance and he hears a lot about anxiety that I experience. Um, and, you know, I think that it's not so much about moving away from it. It's about in some way, letting it be and finding a way to be with it, which doesn't mean loving it. And it doesn't maybe even mean liking it, but it does mean allowing it. And I talk about this in the book, how important it is with our feelings to let them be seen and heard because feelings, including anxiety, only want our love and attention. Um, and they don't need much, but we fear that they need everything. And people say, if I really told you how sad I was, I would never stop crying. Or if I really felt how sad I was, if I really said how angry I was, I wouldn't be able to contain myself, you know? But there's a really simple way everyone listening can do every day, which is as soon as you're aware of a challenging feeling, you simply say its name out loud. So you might say, sadness, I see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you. And this allows sadness to soften and change shape and be able to receive your love. And this kind of practice will change your relationship to your feelings and to your being able to feel. And it's powerful and it takes like five seconds, but it does require consistent practice. And, you know, a lot of times people want to anesthetize their feelings, sedate them, repress them, avoid them, deny them. We want to do anything but feel them. If you can feel them and name them, you will feel consistently better and better. And anxiety will no longer feel so alone. Because, you know, feelings, they don't have... they. They don't have heads. They can only feel. So sadness just is waiting for someone to pay attention. And it's really powerful. Thank you. There's a nice comment here that I thought we could share. It's from uh, Violet, <clears throat> excuse me, who says, I was inspired to create a magic cottage because of you. You have been a huge inspiration to me. Thank you so very much. Also, I want to thank you for the community you started many years ago. I made many friends in your community. Oh, this must be the marvelous message board. Yes, this was before Facebook. Oh. We had, I think we had over almost 5,000 people on that board. And people made friends. People helped each other pay their rent. People 
helped when someone died. I mean, it was the quintessential meaning of community. I've had a number of membership um, groups since then, and I'm looking at creating another one. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Violet. There's a question from Val who says, what is the main quality we need to remember in being our wild selves? Oh, that's a great one, Val. Main quality. Well, probably uh, choice. You know, the quality of choice, the quality of choosing, because every moment that comes to us, we choose. And, and, you know, yes, there are things that happen to us. Like when my former fiance died in my arms in 2016, I didn't feel like there was a choice of how to respond, but there was, you know, just like I can be a crabby old lady or I can be a fabulous one. I can be a despairing widow forever, or I can, um, I did, I called it deeply grieving and wildly living. And I write about this in the book and deeply grieving and then but then also wildly living because I chose to and my same brother Andrew that you mentioned earlier I said to him I don't know how I survived that I don't know how I survived John's death and he said you didn't he said you thrived it and I was so touched by that and I want to I want to be sure to say anyone that's grieving right now actively grieving this is not something to rush and this is not something to try to get over. Grief is not something to get over, it's something to get into. And the deeper you go with grief, the more that you'll learn about yourself and your heart and your spirit. And um, yeah, so that quality of choice, I think, is available to all of us in, again, in every kind of condition. And, you know, I remember when John, um, was it happened he he was he happened to have cancer and he was having chemotherapy and he had been in different rooms uh hospital rooms and on the day that chemo started they put him in this tiny room that seemed like a closet and it was beige and it was sad and he was scared and you know the start of chemotherapy and you know we both cried and then I looked at him and I said, what do you want to do now? And he said, I want to feel better. And I said, tell me 10 things you appreciate. And he said, I'm too tired. Will you do it? And I said, yes. I said, we appreciate that nurse that brought those ice chips. We appreciate the curtain that's between you and the other bed in the room. We appreciate that there's someone with this chemical that is going to possibly help your body heal we appreciate and I, I listed all 10 of these and then he took over and did another 10 and right at the end of it a nurse pulled the curtain aside and said John would you like this bed and it was a bed next to a floor-to-ceiling window with a view of the Golden Gate Bridge we had no idea that that room and that patient had just checked out and so he chose his appreciation and then he moved to this other circumstance. And I will always be so grateful. That is a truly beautiful story. It makes me think about, you, you know, you talk about miracles and you've, you've 
you seem to be someone who really expertly knows how to align with the miraculous in your life. And it's like a muscle you've really exercised. Can you talk a little bit about what is, what does a miracle mean to you? How, how do you recommend to people to get into that miraculous mode of living? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I lived outside the money system for 10 years on barter and trade. And this was before this was popular or ever talked about. <laughs> and uh, I will say that I was one of the privileged poor because I was not evicted. Um, I was not being, um, you know, there were not other things. So I grew up uh, middle-class. So I just want to make sure I acknowledge that. Um, but it caused me to learn to ask for miracles and to tune my vision to see them. And I always tell people miracles are everywhere all the time and they love to be asked for. And so often we don't ask and we don't ask because we're sure we're not going to get them or we're sure we asked before and we didn't get it or that's preposterous. How are you ever going to get that? You know, all these thoughts that we have. Meanwhile, miracles don't care. They're just happening. And so I love to teach. I'm doing a whole section in my new program about this teaching about how to actively ask for and receive miracles. And so Ross, the story that comes to mind is there's so many, I literally have thousands of miracle stories and experiences, but the one that comes to mind is I started realizing that if I went out of my house or wherever I was, I would put my hands out and I would say, miracle, find me now. And I would walk until a miracle happened. So in this particular occasion, many, many, many years ago, I couldn't pay the rent. I didn't have the rent for the magic cottage. This was very scary and I didn't know what to do. So I walked out of my house and I put my hands out and I said, miracle money, find me now. And then I felt ridiculous. I mean, I'm standing there on the street. What is going to possibly happen that's going to give me the money for the rent? And I look down and it seems to be a leaf blowing up the street. And then I suddenly look and I'm like, that's not a leaf. And I pounce on it and it's a hundred dollar bill. And I, yeah, I grabbed this hundred dollar bill. Well, then four more blew up the hill. What? And I grabbed all the, now I have the rent. <laughs> and friends asked me, how long did you stay waiting for more? And I said about an hour, you know, <laughs> it seemed to me that there must be a treasure chest with money just blowing, you know? Um, so obviously that's an outrageous story and one that never has repeated, but what has happened is it tuned, it made me realize that asking no matter, so I, I do all forms of miracle asking miracle mood. Find me now miracle person. Find me now. Miracle health, find me now. Miracle solution, find me now. And it just creates, it's like you're able to step into like a miracle field. You will begin noticing things that you wouldn't notice otherwise. And it might come in the form of a crying child or a barking dog, but I assure you a miracle is there. And you'll begin to see them, they'll multiply, you'll have more of them. I, I live basically from one miracle to another every day, all day. And it's not always, um, what, what is, did I want to say? It's not always dramatic, like the money blowing up the street, but it's other things. It's small things. It's ordinary things. It's sweetnesses. It's um, anyway, so I get very excited to talk about miracles. So thank you. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously you have a, 
a mature perspective on it where you're not expecting yourself to be saved by the universe. You're still doing, you're putting yourself in a position yes. to be successful as well. Yes. Yes. But I do want to say that immature asking is still a good thing to do if you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't, if you haven't reached that maturity yet, you can still do it immaturely. Right. Okay. You got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. That's great. We, there's a really interesting question here from Sabina. Uh, Sabina says, the woman's room, written in 1977, 20 years before the first edition of Succulent Wild Woman, came out, came out and truly shaped my early ideas and fears of marriage. On whose shoulders do you stand today? Which books or authors have stayed with you and keep inspiring you? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sabina. Thank you for referencing that the women's room and thank you for asking that question. I stand on the shoulders of so many. Um, Maya Angelou, as you read earlier, her quote from my book, um, she's definitely someone that I changed my life as a result of her, which was um, when I was 16, I read her book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And I thought, how can, how can these horrible things, how can she have been raped and abused and how can she be so great? So I went to my local library, I'm 16 years old, I'm holding my copy and afterwards she's sitting at this big wooden table and I got the courage to go up to her and I actually got the courage to tell her that I'd been abused, I'd been molested by my older brother. I had never told anyone because I couldn't find anything about sibling incest. I was reading about fathers, daughters, but I, I couldn't find anything. And I sort of blurted this out and she just leaned in and she took both my hands in hers and she said, you are all right. You are all right. And I felt like the cells in my body change. You know, I just felt like I was all right. Now, it took me many years and a lot of self-destructive living and a lot of therapy to really know that I'm all right. But it was the start of an arc of healing that continues to this day. And I did a national television show with her. We became friends. She wrote a poem for another one of my books. Um, and she, I felt this national show we did, I was, it was in Canada, it was the Deanie Petty show. Um, and they, they had asked me to come and talk about how my creativity and how my life, how my succulent wildlife had, had inspired others. And so I was very excited to do the show. And then they, the producer called and said, we want to invite someone else on the show. And I said, oh, okay, who's that? And they said, Dr. Maya Angelou. And I said, oh, please just give her the show. And they said, no, we want you to talk about how she inspired you and then the other people in the audience to talk about how you inspired them. And I said, now that's an awesome concept. Absolutely, this sounds great. And it was, it was phenomenal, phenomenal show. And it's such a good reminder that we all stand on the shoulders. Like we all stand on all these shoulders and all the ancestors, you know, all the ancestors that, that's, that, that gave birth to us really. And so to, you know, to really inform ourselves, to read, to educate ourselves and um, to, to as much as possible love the world. And I know it sounds, um, what does it sound? It sounds impossible, but um, 
you know, that's how I met David, my, my beloved fiance. Uh, I wrote a letter called I'm dating the world because I thought I can't do online dating and I can't, I'd hired a matchmaker, nothing was working. And I thought it's time to just date the world. And John had been dead for two years. I'd gone around the world. I'd done, I'd been deeply grieving and wildly living. And so I'm dating the world. And he read that letter. David read that letter. And he had been told by a female friend of her, of his, that he is like a male version of me. And this friend said, Sark is like a, a female version of you. you. You're like a male version of her. You need to call her inspiration phone line. And so then the story of that is in the book of how, how we met and what happened. And uh, we just got engaged to be married. And um, we made one main vow in our relationship. And I wrote about this in the book too, to tend to our own alignment first. So we don't come to the other half empty trying to get filled. We come as much as possible like a succulent sharing the overflow of love with each other. And of course, it doesn't always work. And we get crabby. And guess what? We have a great therapist. I've, I've said that I don't ever want to be in another unsupervised relationship. <laughs> I like that. A huge congratulations to you and David. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy for you. And he seems like such a sweet man. So congrats. Just a reminder, we're, we're coming close to the end of our time. We've been speaking to the delightful, the legendary Sark, uh, the 25th anniversary edition of her succulent wild woman. It's got four new chapters and it really is written from, it's got this kind of very present day 2022 perspective feel to it. Um, a beautiful book for everybody to check out. And uh, I want to thank our live audience <clears throat> for, for being here and helping us to create these events. We really appreciate you. So thanks for coming out and please keep coming out to these live events. Um, and a big thanks to Jacob Steele, who, who curates all of Banyan's events. Every event we do is thanks to Jacob. And, um, and he's here behind the scenes, you know, doing all kinds of things. So thanks, Jacob Steele. And everybody at Banyan Books, the ownership, everybody in the back of the store, the front of the store that makes Banyan what it is. As Colin, the owner of Banyan, calls us, we're the Banyan gardeners. We're all tending to the Banyan garden. So thanks to everybody. Um, Sark, I believe you have a free gift for everybody too. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I, made, I made everyone a gift. It's your succulent starter kit. And it's a guide to living your most succulent life. And this is a, a card that I'm holding out that says, let life scoop you up and change you somehow. And it's a full color 10 page book with all sorts of fill in the blanks. There's uh, processes, there's, there's wonderful, wonderful things. There's a succulent map game and succulent healing places. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a wonderful, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of it and happy to offer it to everyone as a gift. Thank you so much. That's really sweet. And I'm going to go, uh, as instructed, I'm going to go and download mine after we're finished. If, if everybody, Jacob's going to post it in the chat, but if you want to go to planetsark.com forward slash succulent, and yeah. you can get your free copy of, the, uh, of your succulent starter kit. Thank you so much. That's very generous of you to do that. 
Sark, there's a really cool question here uh, from Lulia. Oh. Yeah, uh, who says, they say hindsight is 2020. If you could go back in time and give your 25-year-old self a message, what would you tell her? Oh, I would tell her more orgasms, less fear, um, more love, uh, tell the truth faster, um, eat more mangoes naked, uh, be an activist, stop thinking that you can't make changes because you can, um, you know, be the adventure and live, 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 live. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I mean, I could go on and on. We we did another hour, Ross, of me talking about <laughs> the hindsight to my 25-year-old. Um, also, that that healing is possible no matter what has happened, and that we we do have the choice to change and to grow and to accept help. And I got a lot of help. Um, I attempted suicide in my mid-30s and grateful that did not happen there would have been no sark books um and i got some really good therapy and support and i had no money at the time so it was that was the barter and trade and i made a trade for the therapy and so you know they're just to to continue a, a healing path and remember that healing is not like a ladder it's like a spiral and it's layers you know, so we don't just march along seven steps to feeling better, you know, we, we learn and grow and it comes back around in a different form. I'm learning so much. Um, and I'm just, I really invite everyone to, to be that learning person and to be the person that shares what they learn because your story affects your story and your life affects others in ways that you cannot possibly know. And, you know, one of the, someone asked me, what, what do you hope to, what did you hope to add to this iconic book? And I said, well, I hope I can add some wisdom, you know, because I've had 25 years to gather wisdom and all of everyone listening is gathering wisdom. And so to share that wisdom, to ask for miracles, to receive them. If, if you want more, um, when you get that succulent starter kit, there's an invitation to the course that I'm teaching that opens, I think it's open now, but it closes at the end of June. So if you want, if you want to know more, I really invite you. It's going to be fantastic. I'm teaching four live two-hour video classes. And uh, so, and then there's a a fantastic there's i'm making eight videos very intimate sharing journal writing journals i'm reading excerpts from journals i'm reading unpublished material um you're there's structured lessons it's self-paced it's live it's a signature course it's the largest one i've ever done i mean largest in the sense of comprehensive and we've gathered already an incredible community um so i want to give my passionate invitation that's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, and, and, yeah. And so then, yeah, they'll, they'll get the book and um, a book is part of the course, but I want them to buy a book from Banyan. Oh yes, of course. Of course you can get this, the, the copy of, of the new edition of Succulent Wild Woman at Banyan.com or in person, 4th and Dunbar in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood, or 
any of Sark's books are available through Banyan. But of course, you can also go to uh, planetsark.com and learn about all of her programs and offerings and um, uh, all kinds of wonderful different products that you have on there for insp inspiration. A couple of really nice comments here from people maybe I can share before we close. Mary says, grateful for your light that shines and the kindness and encouragement you invite us to walk with. Mm. And Jill says, I have had a smile on my face throughout this whole talk. Thank you. Well, I know how you feel, Jill. Oh, thank you, Mary. Thank you, Jill. Thanks so much to everyone for your questions, for your comments, and for being here and joining us. Sark, thank you so, so much. It's been a really uh, a, a wonderful gift to have you with us this evening. And, and you have given me a wonderful gift as well. All of you have, and your questions and your energy. And Ross, you are such a succulent wild man, and Jacob is as well. And thank you for your loving heart. And thank you for the deer that came uh, just before we started. And thank you for showing me the deer. And uh, I wanna meet you when I come to, uh, to Vancouver. It's one of my all time favorite places in Banyan books. Is it's why I said yes to this and um, thank you for thank you for being uh, representing the Banyan spirit so beautifully thank you so much thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom a podcast of Banyan books and sound Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970 our podcast producer is Jacob Steele the show is edited by Abdo Habani, and I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books, or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.